I greet each one of you individually and feel proud to think that you would have enough interest to come here to this hour of devotional to listen to the oldest man of the general authorities of the church. <laughs> I've outlived them all by many years. I've enjoyed the opening prayer, the beautiful music of the choir, the introduction of your wonderful presence, and your presence here this morning. What a beautiful day. What an opportunity to be able to meet and worship in the name of the Lord our God. I've talked here so many times I've almost run out of a subject <laughs> and tried to decide what I might say to you today that would be appropriate. I was reminded that next week we will celebrate a Thanksgiving Day all over this great land of freedom and liberty in which we are privileged to live. And I thought of the words of the Lord to the prophet Joseph contained in the Doctrine and Covenants where the Lord said, Against none was his wrath kindled, save those who would not acknowledge his hand in all things. If we stop to think about it, there isn't one thing we have in this world that we are in debt, not indebted to the Lord for. He created the earth and placed everything upon it, the fish of the sea, the fowls of the air, the animals, the trees, the flowers, the fruit, the vegetable, the seeds, with power to reproduce themselves. And then he created man and put him upon the earth and gave him dominion over it all. Isn't that wonderful? And then he made man and the animals and the seas able to reproduce themselves. I like the first chapter of St. John's in the book, the doc, no, in the, in the um, New, New Testament, which reads like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and by the Word was all things created that created are, and not one thing was created except by the Word of God, and the Word was the life and the light of the world that lighteth every man coming into the world. And the Word has become flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as that of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. After all that God had created in the world, and man to think that he so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son to atone for the sins of the world and to bring about the resurrection of the dead, and that he has come back to this earth after the centuries of darkness and restored his everlasting gospel, which gives us a pattern of life to live by, that taught us where we came from, 
why we're here and where we're going so that life really has a meaning to us. And so we are indebted to the Lord, and I trust as we approach our Thanksgiving Day, it won't just be one of recreation and pleasure, but that we will um, realize what we owe to the Lord for the blessings that are ours. While I was president of the mission down in Atlanta, Georgia, one of uh, our citizens, a Dr. Fisher, built a beautiful rose garden down there of acres. He opened it to the public without any charge. And on the trees were hanging mottos. One of them had a motto called a packet of seeds. And I liked it. And so I copied it. And I memorized it. And I want to give it to you here today. It goes like this. I paid a dime for a packet of seeds. And the clerk tossed them out with a flip. We have them assorted for every man's needs, he said, with a smile on his lips. Pansies and poppies, asters and peas, ten cents a packet, now pick as you please. Now seeds are just dimes to the man in the store, and the dimes are the things that he needs. But I have been to purchase them in seasons before and have thought of them merely as seeds. But as I purchased this package this time, it occurred to me, you have purchased a miracle here for a dime. You've a dime's worth of mystery, destiny, fate. You've a dime's worth of something no man can create. In this bright little package, isn't it odd? You've a dime's worth of something known only to God. You realize that with all the scientific knowledge in the world, even with the landing of the astronauts on the moon, that the scientists can't make a seed and put in it the germ of life. So when it's put in the soil, it'll grow and hang the branches on and the leaves and the flowers and color the flower and perfume it and give you a seed to reproduce itself or a, or a, a fruit. Think about it. You hold that little seed in your hand and realize the power that it has. No wonder the Lord said that against none is his wrath kindled save those who will not acknowledge his hand in all things. And as we approach the um, Thanksgiving Day, I'm sure our thoughts all turn back to our pilgrim fathers who came to this land of America. They probably didn't name their first celebration Thanksgiving Day. That came, I think, in the time of President George Washington. But they did have their, uh, their feast day, and they did engage in prayer. I had the privilege of filling a couple of missions over in Holland. That's where the pilgrims went when they left England, seeking a place <coughs> where they could worship God according to the dictates of their own conscience. I preached in the little city of Leiden where they lived, and I've been in the little church at Delfthaven 
out of Rotterdam, where the pilgrims held their last meeting before setting sail for America. We met there with nearly a hundred missionaries when President Grant was president of the European Mission, and he sang the, star, the, the flag without a stain, and I'll never forget that. It was wonderful to be in that place where the pilgrims left with the speedwell, and when they went to England, they transferred into the Mayflower and sailed across and landed on Plymouth Rock. I've been there. And that country around Plymouth Rock was so stony, I wondered how they could ever eke out a, an existence. I remember at one home I saw the rock was so large that it filled the whole front uh, lot of the, and the house was back of it. And I wondered how those uh, pilgrim fathers could eke out an existence. But there were 122 of them, and during the first winter, <coughs> 51 of them died, and four of the families were wiped out entirely. And you remember the little story about uh, Miles Standish who sent John Alden to Priscilla Mullins and to propose for him, and Priscilla listened to John Alden and said, John, why don't you talk for yourself? Now, I'm, I'm kind of proud to stand here today and tell you that on my mother's side, I'm a descendant of that John Alden and Priscilla who landed with the Mayflower on, at Plymouth Rock. And I've got a little grandson sitting down there who's a descendant too. He doesn't know it, but I'll tell him. Now, did they have the spirit of thanksgiving when they found themselves here in this land where they could start all over again? Let me just read you a few words. They had landed at last on a frozen shore, bleak and dread, but they were so glad that as they knelt in prayer, the very snows seemed warm, and the snowflakes on their cheeks melted into tears of gratitude. Is that the spirit of thanksgiving when they landed here in this land of America? And then they say, Oh, call it holy ground, the soil where first they stood. They have left unstained what there they found freedom to worship God, and that's what they have bequeathed unto us. And at this Thanksgiving time, I think it's a good time to recall what they did to open the way for this great nation. Then we get the Book of Mormon, and the Book of Mormon tells us a lot about this land, that it's a land of promise, a land choice, Above, above all other lands. And Nephi said that whosoever should possess it should serve the God of the land or they should be swept off. And we have read in the Book of Mormon of the nations that have been swept off because they ceased to worship the God of the land who led them and their forefathers here to this land. And we have a great responsibility 
as citizens in this land. For the Lord said that he would fight the battles of this land and be the king of the land if we'll just serve him. So it's appropriate at this time that we express our appreciation for this great land. And I like the words of Moses when he gave a blessing to the 12 tribes of Israel. When he blessed Joseph, he promised him a new land in the utmost bounds of the everlasting hills. Now that isn't over in Jerusalem. They don't have these everlasting hills over there. And the prophets have never predicted a regathering of all nations to the land of Israel, but they have predicted the gathering of Israel to this land of America, which is the land of Joseph. And we're the only people in the world that understand and know what that land was that Moses promised to Joseph. And it was so great in his eyes as he received the revelations of the Holy Spirit that he said in describing that land, he uses the word precious five times in just four little verses when he was describing this new lamb that would be given to Joseph. And um, my daughter sitting here with me, she's been reading here now at our home nights a book that one of your professors just wrote, Brother England, on the life of Brigham Young. And then if you follow what our pioneers went through and the courage that they had, talk about miracles when you think of their leaving their lovely homes in Nauvoo and that beautiful temple for which they had sacrificed as they did in order to build it and then to head into a wilderness with no one on the other end of the journey to provide for them and no storage houses and what they suffered crossing the plains as they settled here in these valleys of the mountains. No wonder the prophet Jeremiah said that the day would come when it should no longer be said, as sure as God lives, who led Israel up out of Egypt, out of bondage and captivity. And you remember how the Dead Sea was parted, that they walked through on dry land, and the Lord fed them with manna from, from heaven. But Jeremiah saw the day when it should be even greater than the Lord, when he should gather scattered Israel from the four quarters of the earth, whithersoever she should be scattered. And he saw the day when the Lord should call for many fishers and many hunters, and they would fish them and hunt them from the hills and the mountains and the holes in the rock. And that's that great army of Mormon missionaries traveling all over the world, gathering in the seed, the, the descendants of Israel. And then the Lord, uh, through Jeremiah, said that the Lord would bring them one of a city and two of a family, and he would bring them to Zion, and he would give them pastors after his own heart. Now, we have so much to be grateful for, and we're not here by chance, but we're here by the sacrifices of our pilgrim fathers and our pioneer fathers who came to this, this choice land that the Lord, according to the Book of Mormon, hid away from the eyes of the world that it should not be overrun. He preserved it 
for us for the day and time in which we now live here in these valleys of the mountains. Just, just following the last World War, Brother Walter Stover, who worked on our Welfare Committee, and I filled many assignments with him, uh, presided over one of the German missions where our people were nearly starved to death. We sent supplies from the welfare to them. And uh, he was called to talk in one of our general conferences. And as he stood up there and reminisced about the conditions that he left behind in that land, he thanked God for this land of freedom and liberty in which we are privileged to live and in which he was privileged to live. He said, I don't even object to paying to my, pay my high taxes. We do a lot of grunting sometimes, but if we'd stop in the words of the song and count our many blessings, we wouldn't be too much concerned about the little the dark clouds that arise occasionally, knowing that the God of heaven is watching over this land. He has decreed that upon this land shall be established the new Jerusalem, and he will come to his people here. And so we have a lot to be grateful for. Let's see what else I want to say. <laughs> I want to read you a little statement that appeared in the Los Angeles Times a couple of years ago to let you see how people regard the great achievements of this church in settling here in these valleys of the mountains. Just as the saints once made the desert bloom through honeybee-like enterprise, so have they made their church into the biggest, richest, strongest faith ever born on the United States soil. It has grown fourfold since World War II to four million members, including one million outside of the United States. Isn't that something? When there was no one here to welcome them, when they came and they built a church, and we see it now growing. I'm on the committee for the approval of New Stakes of Zion. When I became the presiding bishop, we had 126 stakes in the entire church. This year already, we have approved over 130 new stakes, more than the whole church had at the time I became the presiding bishop. And the work is rolling forward. And like Brother Kimmel says, we've lengthened our stride and we're getting more missionaries all the time. And then I think of a statement made by President Wilford Woodruff in the general conference, I think it was in 1898, when he told about when he first met the prophet Joseph Smith and the group of brethren who are bearing testimony. And after they were through, the prophet Joseph said, I've been very much interested and edified in your testimonies here tonight, but you know no more about the future destiny of this people than a babe upon its mother's lap. What a statement. 
He said, we're only a handful of priesthood here tonight. And yet in this last conference, our priesthood meeting was broadcast to over 2,000 different stations. We're only a handful of priesthood here tonight, but this church will fill North and South America. It will fill the world. It will fill the Rocky Mountains. And there will be tens of thousands go to the Rocky Mountains, and there they will open the door for the gospel to be preached unto the Lamanites. Now, if you could realize how many stakes of Zion are being organized now down in Mexico and South America with one temple down there, another being built in Mexico, another approved for down in Chile. Truly, the prophecy of the prophet Joseph is being fulfilled, and we are becoming a mighty people here in the valleys of the Rocky Mountains. Now, let's see, I nearly quit. Oh, I got a few minutes. In the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord tells us that he has blessed us with commandments, not a few. I like that. Some people don't like commandments. They want to do what they want to do. They're like a stream of water without anything to guide it. It just runs wild. That's the way some people like to live. But the Lord said he had blessed us with commandments, not a few. And I like that because as I study the Holy Scriptures, I find that wherever the Lord has given us a commandment, he has also given us a promised blessing by obeying the commandment that he gives. For instance, the words of Malachi speaking when he said uh, that ye have robbed me, even the whole house of Israel. Turn unto me, and they say, wherein have we robbed thee? And he said, in the holding of your tithes and your offerings. And then the Lord said, Bring all the tithes in the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings till you cannot contain them. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, that your flock shall not fall before their time in the field, and all nations shall call you blessed. That's where we usually stop. But there's a lot more in that chapter if you read it. Now I'll put it in my own words. The people began arguing among themselves. Well, look at Brother Johnny over here. He's not a member of the church, and he has more lands and herds and stocks and bonds than any of us. And here's Brother Smith. He pays his tithing and fast offering and helps to build meeting houses and sends his boys on missions and helps with the welfare program. And look what a, what a uh, time he's having getting along financially. The Lord listened to that kind of argument. We've listened to it. The ones that complain about tithing are the ones who don't pay it. The men who pay their tithing, they don't complain. And uh, the Lord listened to it. And what did he do about it? 
he caused that a book of remembrance should be written before him, and in that book should be recorded the names of those who serve the Lord. And I think he's still talking about the law of tithing. And then he said, And when I shall come to claim my jewels, then shall ye return and discern between him who serveth God and him who serveth him not. When I was the presiding bishop of the church and we had the award program for the boys of the Aaronic priesthood and the girls, we required that they should be full tithe payers in order to get their awards. We weren't thinking of increasing them, uh, the money in the uh, coffers of the church. We wanted every boy and every girl in Israel to have their names recorded in that book of remembrance to be numbered among the Lord's jewels when he should come and claim his jewels. If you have faith, is it any job to pay your tithes and your offerings? I always liked a little story President Grant used to tell about tithing, about the woman who taught the Sunday school class. She took ten big red apples to a Sunday school class, and then she said to the students, If I were to give you all of these apples, you'd be willing to give one back, wouldn't you? And they all agreed that they would. But I can hear President Grant say, But we have some Latter-day Saints who wouldn't give one back until they'd taken a few big bites out of it. Ah, <laughs> uh, do we believe the word when the Lord invites us? Turn unto me, and I will turn unto you. I shouldn't tell you this, I guess, but one good brother up in Salt Lake for now for four times has brought me in a check of $2,500 about every other month out of his business that he turns in in addition to his tithing. He just wants the Lord to be on his side. The Lord said through his prophet of old, Gather my saints together unto me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Now let's talk just a minute about that word of wisdom that a lot of people fuss about and don't like us to preach about it. But think of the promises the Lord gave to those who will observe and keep the word of wisdom, that they shall walk and not faint, that they, the destroying angels should pass them by and not slay them as he did the children of Israel. And I can't have time to tell you that story. And uh, then he said, And ye should be blessed with, with hidden knowledge, uh, hidden treasures of knowledge. That's worth more than money. And I think of uh, my experience through the years, traveling in the various missions where we've had youth uh, firesides. I'm going to refer to one especially over in Carthage, Illinois, where the prophet Joseph and his brother Hiram were martyred. And we held a fireside there on Sunday morning. We spent a two or three days in that youth conference. And we had in the big chapel on the university campus that had a balcony in it, there were about 1,500 young people there. Some of them had traveled for over a thousand miles to be there in that uh, youth conference and to attend that fireside. 
And we had a couple of these benches down in front kept vacant so that the young people could come and fill in the ones who wanted to bear their testimony. We met from 8, eight o'clock in the morning till <coughs> 12 o'clock at noon. <coughs> and there wasn't, <coughs> excuse me, there wasn't a minute's time lost. When one was nearly through bearing testimony, another would be standing right there by that mic, ready to take over and bear their testimonies. And there those young people, gathered from all over that country, thousands of miles, would stand with tears in their voices and tears in their eyes, bearing their testimony, thanking God for the Mormon missionaries that came to their home and brought the gospel. And then I said to myself, talk about hidden wisdom, uh, hidden knowledge. What more could you ask than that? I tell them, I have a lot of rich friends, and I enjoy them. I can enjoy the comforts of life, and I don't have to pay for them. <laughs> but I have never seen a tear of joy fall from the eyes of any of my rich friends because of anything they could buy with their money. But I'll tell you, I've sat through many and many and many a meeting where the tears of joy flow from those who uh, are touched by the influence and power of the Spirit of the Lord. That's why we're here worshiping today, that we might feel that Spirit. Well, maybe I have a... I'll just read you to show you what the reward is for this missionary work. And we got 2,000 of them over here this morning, they tell me. I'm going to read you a little testimony that I've copied from a letter that came from an uh, airplane captain who'd studied for the ministry and then decided to be a pilot and we uh, brought him into church through the... We were grounded for a couple hours. And this is from his letter. A happiness I have experienced in my heart and soul since joining the church is indescribable. I feel that meeting I had with you and President Kimball... But President Kimball didn't do any of the preaching. I did all the preaching. <laughs> really, really set things uh, in motion for me. Prior to that, I had just been spinning my wheels and searching. Now I know that through the discovery of the restored truth of our Lord, my life has meaning and direction. I want to work for him and do his will. Now I'll read you one from a good woman who wrote in for information about the church, and they sent her the marvelous work and the wonder. I got a couple letters in my pocket I've had during the last week from those who've been brought into the church through reading the marvelous work and the wonder. It's a wonderful thing. They sent her a copy, and after she had read it. Oh, she says first, will you please inform me about your 
church its aims and objectives. If your church is what I have been seeking for 53 years and never found in any church organization, I might be able to contribute. I am not a curiosity-seeking person nor a habitual joiner. And after reading the book, she wrote this. I find your church interesting. It quickens within me a feeling. What shall I call it? Like a beautiful song I had known long, long ago, but had forgotten. Then after joining the church, I've left out another paragraph or two. She said, I now have a serenity and composure and inner strength and inward joy which I never before possessed. Do all souls seeking enlightenment uh, exclaim within their troubled hearts, O suffering world, I come, I come. Now it's time to close. I could read you some more. Brothers and sisters, no wonder I like the name a marvelous work and a wonder. And we don't have anything that we're not entitled to the Lord for. With all my heart and soul, I thank him for my membership in this church, for the holy priesthood that I bear, for every opportunity of service that I've enjoyed in my life, for the love and confidence of the saints of God throughout this world, and pray God to bless each one of you. And as you approach your Thanksgiving next week, may you realize what you owe to the Lord, I pray, and leave you my blessing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.